Good day to you, and welcome to Fascinating. I am your host, Rick, from Planet Vulcan. My continuing mission on planet Earth to search for signs of intelligence and to encourage its spread. Many of the essays on this podcast so far have been devoted to the debunking of various ekneronges, that is, ignorance in reverse or knowing what is not so. In this installment, we focus on two earthling writers who do display signs of intelligence, and we very much wish to encourage the spread of their thinking. Contributing editor Bitta Pinvenu wishes to call your attention to scholars Daniel Kahneman and Vernon L. Smith. These two men shared the Nobel Prize in Economics in 2002, and their work deserves wide attention. Bitta writes, First, a caveat. Always remember that skepticism is at the heart of science. So, although I am recommending these authors as exceptionally good thinkers, that doesn't mean you should leave your skepticism at the door. I hope you choose to adopt the attitude that your purpose in considering these ideas is to have your own thinking stimulated, better than thinking of yourself as an empty vessel being filled. Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow The fast and slow thinking in his book's title refers to different general modes of making judgments and choices, which he groups for convenience into fast, which means instinctive or else simple enough to have been internalized so as to become a rule of thumb, and slow, which means taking time to deliberate and to analyze rationally. Both types of thinking have an evolutionary reason for being. Slow thinking produces higher quality thoughts, but you have to wait for results. When you have no time for slow thinking because you have to make a choice immediately, fast thinking is far more advantageous than incomplete slow thinking and demonstrably better than no thinking at all. Kahneman, a psychology professor and his collaborator, the late Amos Tversky, conducted experiments with the aim of discovering generalities about human behavior, particularly the fast or intuitive kind, and of comparing it to how they believe a rational actor would behave. The pair collected data on the errors in judgment and errors in choice people routinely make and then looked for what Kahneman calls distinctive patterns in the errors. They then attach labels to these patterns in order to facilitate their discussion. Fast, intuitive thinking in particular leads to poor decisions more often than does slow thinking, and this book looks into examples that Kahneman and Tversky explored. The point, of course, is not to put people down who are making poor decisions based on their heuristics or rules of thumb, And Kahneman points out that most people, most of the time, make good decisions based on their heuristics, but to help spread information about how to recognize a poor decision when you see it, to gain some insight into what led to the poor decision, and to improve your batting average. One example they studied that is familiar to many people is the sunk cost fallacy. 
It is not unusual to hear people say things like, we've got to keep fighting this war because we've already put so much blood and treasure into it. This blood and treasure is, however, not recoverable, which is the definition of sunk. It is gone, whether you continue the war or stop it, which makes it irrelevant to the decision about whether to go on fighting. Even though the thought can be made to seem emotionally appealing, as if you were honoring the dead by expending more blood and treasure uselessly. All of our contributing editors, even smirky Max Mugface, for reasons of her own, agree that Kahneman's writings explain with utmost clarity so much about how human beings make choices, often in ways that are based on sloppy thinking. Smirky believes that what the book illustrates is that all of these so-called errors in intuitive thinking are due to the pernicious effects of capitalism, especially Monsanto Corporation, and that we cannot trust the work and the thinking of economists because they assume people are perfectly rational. And these studies show that people are not perfectly rational. We must, therefore, step in and transform society Oust the oligarchs and patriarchs who now run things, all of them male, of course, put the right people in charge, give them all the authority, and control of all of the money, and then all will be well. Well, what about the implications of the existence of these semi-predictable errors in fast thinking? Does it fatally undermine the science of economics if you can demonstrate that much of people's behavior is not strictly rational? What Kahneman himself said about the economics profession was measured and free of overreach to his everlasting credit. He said that if economic models rest on the assumption of generally rational behavior, perhaps these models ought to be reevaluated. Economists themselves have long been aware of and discussing the unreality of the assumption of individual rationality and the scientifically-minded among them welcomed the contribution made by Professor Kahneman to this conversation. No one begrudges him the Nobel Prize in economics he shared with economist Vernon L. Smith for his work, even though he is a psychologist and not an economist by profession. I believe one of the best proposed routes for thinking about this problem of less-than-complete rationality is to point out that just as individual ants do not need to make rational decisions in order for the anthill to thrive, neither do individual humans need to make rational decisions in order for the economy to function in ways that models help to explain and predict. The beauty of this explanation lies in its compatibility with general systems theory and social biology, where studies show us that organization within living systems, such as insect colonies and groups of social mammals, does not depend on whether or not the individual creatures have any awareness or any concern about the functioning structures that result from their behavior. There is a real-world selection process going on with both ants and human beings where good decisions are rewarded with good outcomes and it doesn't matter whether the good decisions were made by accident or by design. The selection process is occurring at a different level than that of the individual, 
So it is not essential that individuals behave rationally for order to emerge and to emerge in ways that economic theory can help to explain. My colleague Prego Denada has asked me to point out that the game of golf can be, for anyone who plays the game, a laboratory for experimenting with elements of utility theory. For example, the tendency towards loss aversion, or the tendency to be overconfident, etc. The game could even be a fruitful area for academic investigation, especially because there are objective metrics to evaluate outcomes. For amateurs, there is the handicap index, and for professionals, there is prize money. Well, in the game of golf, all of utility theory is in play on every shot. And the beauty of using the game of golf as a laboratory, rather than using the academic approach, which relies on statistics with some tacit assumptions thrown in, is that you do not have to make judgments about what is or is not rational. For example, how do we know for certain that there is not a valid reason for the loss aversion instinct just because we haven't thought of one? And in the years since Kahneman's book was published, there have reportedly been some problems with efforts to replicate his results. This is not to detract from Kahneman's work, trying to run a controlled experiment in human psychology is fraught with practical and conceptual difficulties. And given the approach that Kahneman and Tversky took to their studies, it is not terribly surprising that some of their generalizations came to be seen as somewhat off by later researchers. Kahneman describes their process as one of bouncing ideas off one another during frequent and prolonged discussions. They worked on the assumption that each of their intuitive responses to hypothetical situations calling for judgments or decisions would be fairly well correlated with human responses in general. And when the two of them agreed on an intuitive response, the correlation ought to be even greater, or so they reasoned. What could go wrong with a method like that? As Kahneman himself pointed out later on, they themselves had committed an error when they extrapolated so much from such a small sample size. In spite of obvious reasons for a little skepticism, their partnership produced many pearls of wisdom, and you would do well to add some of these pearls to your own treasure house. Vernon L. Smith and Experimental Economics Experimental Economics focuses not on psychology, but on the results of behavioral experiments, without necessarily trying to discern what is going on in the minds of the subjects. It takes the preferences of consumers as a given, it takes the cost of production as a given, and takes it from there, with various assumptions about institutional arrangements. His studies at university involved emulations of real-world markets in a laboratory setting, actually a classroom setting, where his students could participate in make-believe production and consumption of a commodity. The simulations involved dividing groups of students into a group of buyers and a group of sellers. Each buyer would receive a card with a number representing the maximum price they would pay, 
Each seller would receive a card with the number representing the minimum price at which they would sell. The producers would receive the difference between the selling price and the cost of production, so their incentive is obviously to ask for a high price, but not so high that they do not make a sale. The consumers would receive the difference between the value they placed on the product and the price they had to pay to obtain it, so their incentive is to bid a low price, but not so low that they do not make a purchase. The experimenter who created and distributed the cards can construct a demand curve from the information given to the buyers and a supply curve from the information given to the sellers. And the point at which the curves intersect reveals an equilibrium price, that is a price where quantity demanded and quantity supplied ought to be equal, so that the market clears. No individual buyer or seller, of course, has any knowledge of the curves. They only know the number on their card, which is termed a reservation price. After the game is started, any individual buyer is free at any time to bid a price, and any individual seller is free at any time to ask a price. Whenever a deal is struck between a buyer and a seller, the price they agreed upon is recorded, along with the numbers on each of their cards, and the two of them retire from this round of the game, and so on until there are no more offers to buy or sell during that round. The experiment is repeated several times, and the results, surprising to many and yet not surprising to most economists, are generally that the price that emerges in the experimental setting converges on the theoretical equilibrium price obtained by intersecting the supply and demand curves that were derived from the numbers on the cards. This basic experiment was run many times with many variations, and the results that were published in Smith's scholarly articles based on his experiments earned him a share of the Nobel Prize. Professor Smith who is 96 years old as of this writing, is still active in spreading his insights about the operations of markets. He is especially keen on Adam Smith, the Scottish Enlightenment figure who wrote The Wealth of Nations, and prior to that, The Theory of Moral Sentiments. Professor Smith will tell you that Adam Smith often gets a bum rap among non-economists, who tend to focus on narrow sections of his work only to condemn it as promoting churlish behavior and do not see the forest for the trees. If you read both of these works, you will see that Adam Smith recognized and emphasized that human nature is, as Vernon Smith puts it, both self-regarding and other-regarding. There is in our actual societies a complex interplay of motives that lead to human action. His enthusiasm for Adam Smith's work is contagious, and if you ever have the opportunity to listen to him, please take it. You can find some of his talks on YouTube. I propose that your time will be well spent by spending it studying the ideas of either or both of these brilliant and thoughtful men. Thanks to Bitta for this informative essay. I invite you to have listen to the next installment of Fascinating. Please provide feedback to these podcasts if you are so inclined. 
you may contact me by sending an email to Senior Contributing Editor Prego Denada. Prego Denada at gmail.com. If you find the lessons from nature in these podcasts personally valuable, please recommend it to your friends. Theme music, Coming Back to Life, with thanks to Pink Floyd. Live long and prosper, savor your experiences, and treasure your memories, and respect nature's wisdom. <laughs>